0: ¿Qué pasa, Internet? Eran un gato terreno Me llamo Matthew Kroll. La verdad es genial, pero inalcanzable. My name is Shire Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the
1: film Y e Tu Mama, Tambien. Tambien. And what you just heard was the culmination of four years of high school Spanish. And granted, it was redacted years ago, but we did fine. Luckily, Shahir, buddy, pal, amigo of mine, we are not alone on this journey of butchering other people's languages. We
0: are not. And I am very thrilled because when I thought about the, doing this movie, by the way, just before we get started, we should acknowledge the fact that this is episode 350 of the podcast. I don't believe that. that is yeah, that is, that is true. So, so I was excited to do this particular movie as a sort of special bonus, you know, like uh, looking into the sacred cows of the movies that we love kind of thing, uh, because there's no other reason to do it other than it celebrated its 20th a, anniversary a, a little bit yeah, while ago.
1: A tres uh, a, a, a tres <laughs> you know, how would you say 350? Trecientos uh,
0: cinquenta? Is that the the person who is in on who's waiting on the other line for just patiently waiting for us to introduce him (laughs) is Mark Pagan who is the host of Other Men Need Help and has also joined us previously for the episode about Burt Reynolds and his his private parts in White Lightning. Mark, thank you for waiting patiently as we butchered Spanish, did a rambling (laughs) introduction to you to Mama and had you sitting in the wings while we we celebrated our 350th episode. But I couldn't think of anyone I wanted to talk to more about this film than you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm I'm
2: curious now to see if we can find connective tissue between this movie and White oh. Lightning. I think Ooh. it exists. Oh, I'm
0: sure. So it, if not for the fact that the road, th- there are vehicles involved, yes, sweaty and lots, lots of sweat. sweat. Oh, yeah, sweating vehicles. I yeah. will say I prefer the sweat in this movie than in White Lightning, which felt sticky. The sweat in yeah. White Lightning felt very, very <laughs> sticky that's it right. you say that yes sticky and racist <laughs> yes. mark you have uh the podcast uh, other men need help has been continuing for a while it is one of my favorite go-to listens uh whenever i'm out uh on my daily walk um i am curious you recently had an episode about halloween movies and i'm wondering uh as we have just left the uh orgy Doggy days of october <laughs> uh did you get to watch a bunch of halloween movies this year
2: I did. I did. So I, there was a number of, we have, like most people now, we have just an insane amount of streaming channels, but I'm still collecting physical Same. media. I picked up picked up the habit again during the pandemic. Um, it was sort of like off and on yeah. for years, but it's just like gangbusters. So I don't know. We finished this episode and nostalgia kicked in and I bought the Blu-ray set of the Friday the 13th oh, movies. Oh my God. And <laughs> my fiance, who is the most lovely person, yeah. especially because of what what I'm about to say, decided to go through the whole set wow. uh, with me. With how- uh, like her, actually, like she was very like she was sort of motivating. <laughs> it. And I was like, I'm ready to go to bed. How how now. many films? Is that? Um, how many is in the collection? Well, they've got they have the I guess the first the the Paramount ones, which was which were eight films, and then mm-hmm. New Line picked it up, so that's that was number nine. When Jason mm-hmm. goes to space, that was ten. And there was a the mm-hmm. Freddy versus Jason eleven, and then there's a the yes. remake, right? The Friday the Marcus remake, film, right? So a total of twelve. Yeah. I actually don't. Remember. We, I I have to admit we that no, one we yeah, one more. Yet. Okay. Um, and I've never seen it. Okay. I still haven't never seen it. But um, but yeah, that was that was the bulk. I mean, we we got around. We've been to the movie theater. We saw Candy Man. We saw the remake of that. Um. And I was now with theaters opening again, I'm just I'm like, uh, I, I just love I'm just going to rep screenings. Saw haunting. Oh, perfect. Or no, not not haunting. Not haunting. Uh the howling for okay. the first okay. time. okay. I haven't seen that. Uh, I've seen the haunting, but not the howling. Um and I'm forgetting another another seventies or eighties screening of something I'd never seen. But anyway, but yeah, Friday 13th How, the Thirteenth. How like so? I've
0: not. I, I I think I was telling you this off uh, off air before that. The, I think the first movie like you know the, the sort of '70s horror schlocky movies, the the slasher movies. The first one I actually saw was Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight, where uh, Jason takes Manhattan. I believe it's number eight. Um, and and yeah. and I was genuinely terrified because it was the first time I think I just heard Jason. You know the kill kill kill. You know that that thing. Uh, and as as a young man, that definitely scared me. I'm curious what the what the rest of the series is like because i know now if i went back and watched number eight uh jason Takes manhattan it would be the point at which the 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 whole thing kind of enters parody territory right like it, it gets sillier yeah. the more it goes on
2: in some ways i think you should revisit it too as a new yorker yeah now because absolutely. it's like it's it's jason takes vancouver it's like <laughs> half the doesn't movie he, he goes to like, times square like he? This, and he
0: gets like hit with sludge he goes to
2: times square's yeah. Yes. And and it's great. The Times Square stuff yeah. is great, but there's like subway scenes. Like, I don't know what train system this is, but <laughs> it's definitely not New York. Um there's some really beautiful self aware material in it. I think there's the whole series fails in terms of consistency, yeah. but The one that comes after it when New Line picked it up, it just, it totally just drops everything. And they're just kind of like, fuck it. Like, let's turn this into, it turns it, it becomes a zombie movie, basically. That's the one where he he gets split Um, apart
0: and they eat his heart at some point, right? Like some, yeah, I remember remember that scene. I saw it when I was,
2: when I was in eighth grade, you know, being a, being a Jason fan. I was so, I hate it, (laughs) I hate it, I hate it. And, then I re- and I rewatched it. I was I I found it thrilling. <laughs> like I found it absolutely thrilling, and uh, had a great time with it. But yeah, Caitlin's got my my fiance's got a great great take on sort of like where things. Yeah. She has she's a, she's got a beautiful assessment. She's able to do this if, like watching or reading anything, like an immediate turnaround of like an assessment of it. Um and so she's been able, she's had this beautiful order of like where somebody Ooh. should watch the series yeah. that um I'm very impressed by. Um but yeah, two number two, I think is my favorite. That, now that's the one where Jason actually
0: like, appears for the first time because the first one it's his it's his mom, right? Spoilers yeah. for Friday 13th. It's yeah. his mom. Yeah.
2: And two is who's genuinely i find like the scares actually right, deliver right. um and he's he's a he's a creepy he's a uh you know a creepy ghost yeah. in the woods yeah. like that that the use of of him in that way is, now, is just great it just now just let me really ask you effective.
1: this uh you know you said that the second okay. one was your favorite but like freddie versus jason <laughs> Where does that fall in your pantheon of enjoyment? Because I st- I I think and maybe I just like the schlockiness of it, the self-referential stuff. That's one of my absolute favorite monster movie movies of all time because it is so self-aware. Uh yeah.
2: I I also like Jason Goes to Hell I saw in the theater with a buddy of mine. We I know it wasn't that we were going to walk out. We were pissed. We we're like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> but I haven't seen it since that screening, whenever that was in 2003. And I watched it with Caitlin and we were, yeah. same thing. I was like, this is phenomenal. Right. <laughs> it was, yeah, completely self aware. Um, I think Robert England is having fun in a different way with that yep. character too. Yep. Um, there's He's allowed to be physical in a very different way. Yeah, it was great. It was. It was. I don't sure. know where
1: it sits in terms of my order, but just, <laughs>
2: better yeah. than when I saw it. I just want to
1: see your temperature on it. Wow, twenty years ago. Holy
0: shit! Yeah, I know. We're, we're oh, all know. very old now. Wow. But-
1: <laughs> well, actually, uh, the movie that we're going to be talking about is, about is twenty years old. As is well. twenty years old. Wait. So yeah. this film came out the same year that Freddy versus Jason came out.
2: I think I'm off by like a two years or something. I think Freddy versus Jason might have been 2003 or 2004 or something like that. 2003. So 20 years. Okay,
1: close, 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 close. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: Mark, I I was reading an interview uh, of you today just to kind of just see if there was any little tidbits I could find, and there was an interesting thing. And I feel like I know this piece of information just having talked to you, but I know. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I one of your favorite movies is Raising Victor Vargas. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure where it I picked is. that up from, but I was thinking about that in relation to this movie and then your podcast and and what I think you, you know, what I've found that I think you're interested in. And there was something about when I was thinking about who we could talk to about you to Mama Tambian that that you were sort of just a natural fit for it. And... uh. Another part of that was that in this interview I read with you, uh, it talked about the fact that you wanted to go off and make a movie at one point before you did Other Men Need Help as a podcast. That, I hope I'm not like digging up journalistic untruths here, but I'm, I, it sounds kind of like- what Call you, him out I, though if he is, because yeah. that's no <laughs> fun. <If you>, um, <laughs> has the itch kind of come back at any point? Have you wanted to step back into into making a movie?
2: Uh occasionally, yeah. Well, it's interesting talking about this movie today and then mentioning raising Victor Vargas. The only itch that I have in terms of anything that's I there's shorts, there are um documentaries that I want to make, there's sort of like hybrid things. Yeah. But in terms of like a film, like like like, I want, like, a strong, like, 85-minute film, yeah. you know, with working with actors. Um, they're all coming of age. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I just, that's the only story I feel compelled to tell yeah. uh, with working with a group of actors, at least right now. Um, and that's what I keep coming back to. I keep sort of, like, asking myself, well, what, what about a genre? Yeah. If I can make a genre movie or something like that. And... Um, I'm fascinated by, I guess I could say like the genre or subgenre of coming Mm. of age. I think it's like, it's a really interesting, um, it says a lot, is a lot of interesting things about an era, but it's also, it's an interesting Mm. export. It's like an interesting American export. Mm. And I think things like, like this film is a nice response to like the omnipresence. It's so interesting. I'm going on a total tangent now, but it's so interesting over the years, the last 30 years, you know, traveling or, or being in the world and seeing, like, the 90210s showing up in Greece, mm. like, watching that, like, on a TV station in Greece or, like, uh, the OC or um, or Stand By Me being, tra- yeah. you know, being in visiting my family in Puerto Rico and seeing that. And, like, so how how powerful the coming-of-age narrative is and how much, like there is there's a certain sort of archetype of American coming of age that has that's been like the export hmm. and so it's nice well I'm so fascinated by this by the the millennium and sort of how certain some films were starting to. Res- <laughs> I don't think Cuaron was necessarily like deliberately responding to coming of age cinema uh, from the United States but to go back to your original question that seems to be what I'm compelled to talk about if I were to have a budget yeah. and work with actors it, again. it
0: seemed like an alignment that I, I just I couldn't quite articulate but I felt like it was uh, it was because of having listened to the podcast it felt like it was an alignment of, of your natural uh, interests I think and so I'm curious then I'll ask both of you this question uh, when was the first time you saw you Tambian, and what was your response to it when you saw it
1: uh, I'll go first. Uh, I, it was in 2001. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I was... How old was I in 2001? <laughs> um, a, lot like, a lot younger a than lot you are younger now. A lot younger than I am now. <laughs> I, I was either end of high school or early college. No, I was in college by then. I was in. Oh, no. Yeah. That was during the gap year. Um, okay. That was during the time when I didn't know what I was doing with my life. Um, you know, now. Um, and um, I think... It's funny. It's hard for me to look back at how I interacted with this film back then without having it be sort of like tainted by the now because back then this coming of age story I didn't I didn't have the other perspective. It, does that make sense? Like I didn't have the other end mm-hmm. of the time tunnel. Uh and and so when I watched it I was like, "Oh, cool journey like this thing and oh like the, you know, it just like I was kind of like just I feel like I glossed over a lot of the sadness when I was young, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um hmm. and now <laughs> now it's a lot different. Uh yeah. I, so I don't know, we we'll get into sort of the dichotomy of like to be honest, a 20-year-old and the 40-year-old watching this film. But uh yeah, I mean, I I I enjoyed it. Um but I I didn't it did not ever i've seen it a few times over the years it did not ever stick with me that much when i was young and i found that upon subsequent viewings i get more and more out of it okay mark what mm-hmm. about you yeah
2: uh i saw it as well when it came out i was in college i was 22 and uh, i saw it with my girlfriend at the time i i remember being really blown away the other thing which is The only time this is an all my movie going this has ever happened is I got a piece of a popcorn kernel stuck (gasps) in the back of my throat during this screening. So I was able to watch the movie and it wasn't so violent that I was like uh, that I was gagging or anything. But I just kept going. I was watching. Wow, This is really great. Is that still in my throat? (laughs) Like I just in my mind was still going. And I had that piece of kernel in my throat for. Two days, oh, literally no. two days eventually left. But I've, I still have this striking memory of like being so enthralled, but also very distracted by uh, by my concession. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I just remember walking out with with my my girlfriend at the time and we were both really. We both had a lot to say, but we were quietly just not we're just quietly reflecting Mm. on it and it's it i've returned to it in my head over the years and i've watched it it's sort of i think it's like an every five to seven Mm -hmm. year revisit Mm. and um i don't know about you guys but with this movie i think and this also i've i found this has happened with children of men um i have only seen gravity once i'm trying to think of uh, some of rome I've only seen once. There's, there's something else. Uh, great expectations, one of the other films or I the Little
0: Princess, or Solo Conto period Also, only.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the only this and um, and Children of Men are the only ones that I've seen repeat viewings of so far. But they're like, I still rewatching. How can I explain this? I think the like how deliberate some of the like the directing and mise en scene is in this film. Um. I have such immediate like I have such immediate recall mm. of the scenes like even from that first viewing like it just feels it feels as immediate as when I watched it 20 years ago. I don't know how to explain it. There are other movies in which I'll I'll see it and I'll be like, "Oh god, that's right. This shot is amazing." But I I even from like seeing it 5 years after the first time, I could I predicted mm. and I mean that as like a in a very loving way for whatever the, the effect that the movie creates but yeah uh it stuck with yeah. me It still it it rings in my head um every so
0: often so for me i um i was in college as well i think mark you and i probably were around the same age and um uh i was writing for a local newspaper at the time it might have been a student newspaper at the time Um, And what was happening in New Zealand was that uh, a a film like Yuta Mama Tambian came came to us via the New Zealand Film Festival. And there was this interesting Mm. phenomenon that started happening, which was that there was this little very small group, I think it had a membership of like something like four hundred people called the Society for the Protect for the Promotion of Community Standards. And what they would do is that they would basically read the synopses of the whatever movies come out in the film festival and pick which ones that they thought were going to be offensive <laughs> or distasteful. And they would basically, there was a mechanism within the legal framework of New Zealand censorship so that they could challenge the the rating that a film had been given, and effectively that challenge, because of the film was only coming in for a short period for the film festival, that challenge would mean that that film would have to be excluded from the film, from the film festival while it was being reviewed. And so they basically enact, used this legal mechanism to just get rid of movies that they thought that they were, were going to be offensive. And it became kind of a sort of cause celebre in New Zealand for, like, actually, testing the censorship model in New Zealand and they picked on um, we talked about this in our Titan episode a lot of films from the the new French extremities films like Irreversible Bezmois 29 Palms you know, films that were sort of uh, featured extreme violence or sexual content and for some reason Nitu Mamatambian was one of the films that got lumped into this category that they had decided to take offence at and uh, of course in all of these cases they had never seen any of these movies they just basically read a synopsis did a quick Google search on like what other reviews had said about it. And, and, and obviously with Yitamama Tambian, the, 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 exp- the, the sexual frankness had come up quite a bit. Uh, and they seemed to pick up on this idea that it was two younger men uh, being exploited by an older woman. So they immediately pounced on this movie and and tried to have it pulled. And again, it became a course of labor. I, I was writing about it. I actually interviewed the uh, the person from the Society for the Promotion of Community Standards, and it was very uh, amusing. Um, and, and and obviously their their, their redactions all failed at, at some point you know these films are still played and and by doing this they' actually created more publicity for these movies and so they they were sold out and so I went along and I saw a bunch of all the new French extremity films like irreversible Bamoir 29 Palms, and I thought you know I, I thought they were all pretty good you know not quite my cup of tea but I, and I went to see you to Mamaambia not knowing a lot about it and I say, will say I, I, I I remember it so vividly that I felt like I staggered out of the movie theater. I was so blown away by this movie. When I think about uh, the reason I wanted to do this movie is this movie is a sacred cow to me. Um, when I think about the mo- when I think about movies and the passion I have for movies, I think about the experience of watching this movie in particular there's a few of them over the years that that you know I, I will remember as well, but this is one where this was a transformative movie for me. Like I walked into this movie a different, I walked out of this movie a different person than the person who walked into this movie because it 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 gave me this sort of wild energy for what movies could be. And it made me passionate about the medium and it made me passionate about the types of stories that I thought were interesting and the types of stories that I thought were worth telling. And this was just one of those movies that kind of, transformed my life in terms of you know like if you listen to the podcast you know i love movies this is one of the reasons why i love movies is this movie um i i was just floored by you know like mark like you were saying the the sort of the 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 intent with which scenes are constructed but simultaneously feel like they're just caught off the fly you know like they they feel so uh al- every scene feels alive yet entirely constructed at the same time. And the I, I remember the, the the moment that the the sound went out and you know like you you're sort of like, wait, what happened? It's in the first five minutes of the movie the sound goes out and then all of a sudden there's this narrator explaining like a kind of almost novelistic context to what we're seeing on screen. and that novelistic context carries through into history, into politics. And I just remember going, I didn't know that was possible. Like, I didn't know that you could do that, and I didn't know, like, up until that, up until seeing it in this context, I only thought books could do this, and I didn't realize that a movie could fire off in any direction this way. And so, I, I, you know, absolutely unabashedly love this movie, and I to the point though. Like, there are movies I love where I'm happy to revisit them because I love breaking them down and I love thinking about them and and, and, and sort of um, dissecting them. This is a movie I'm always afraid of watching again because I'm always afraid that of, of diminishing the power of that first screening. And I have I've sought out screenings of this. I've gone to, I, you know, whenever it plays in a movie theater, I always go to see it. Um, and But there's always this little part of me that gets a little bit afraid because the person that walked out of that movie theater loved movies so much and wanted to make movies. And what if I see this movie again and I don't love it as much? And that always terrifies me. I watched it again a couple of days ago and and there's nothing to be worried about. I was, I was enraptured by it. Like all over again, and I just fell in love with this movie all over again, and I couldn't like. I, I was just I was the joy of watching something that's so good that it just makes you happy in every part of your body. Um. So that like, <laughs> that's kind of why I wanted to, I, I wanted to talk about this movie because I wanted I want to dissect that feeling a little bit. But I you know like and I'm the movie's not about criticism. I think there are things to work on with this movie, but I love this movie so passionately. I think it's his, I think it's his best film. I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen.
2: Uh, I was just going to ask uh, do you, if you remember the moment. Uh, if you remember, if there was a moment in the film when you first saw it in the theater, that was the one that took your breath away. Of like, 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 if you could distill it, if there was a moment that just—I,
0: I think there is a moment at the end that takes my breath away every time, and it, it's 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 a phrase that Louisa says in narrative. It's mentioned that she tells the boys this this phrase, and I remember when when she said that, that became, uh, and I, and I won't say what it is just yet, but that became kind of a philosophy of life for me. It was a moment where I, I, I felt like my knees kind of got a little bit weaker, you know, like in terms of like seeing the world in a different way. Um, but in terms of, I think I was just transfixed by the the narrator and I was transfixed by the, the life of it all, you know, like there, there was just such a sense of pulsating life to this movie. It felt like it was, um, th- th- there's a thing that, uh, Luisa says in this movie as well. was like, we're lucky to live in magical musical Mexico or something along those lines. And I just felt that there was magic in this movie from frame one. And, and I, I can't think of like a particular one, but I know that, that, that there is a, uh, a thing that Luisa says at the end of this movie that, I stayed with me from that moment, you know, and will probably stay with me for the rest of my life.
1: Well, you, we, I, it's a 20-year-old movie. You, you can say <laughs> what the thing is.
0: It's when Louisa... And there's different translations of it. I've thought about this moment so much that I've actually, like, started trying to figure out what the translation of it is. But it's uh, Because in the, the Blu-ray that I just bought, it's actually a different translation than the one that I saw Ooh. in the theater. Um, but it's when she says... She told the boys, uh, life is like the surf, so give yourself away like the ocean or something to th- in that way in yep. in the in the version i just saw it was like life is like the foam so give yourself away like the ocean um and then she walks into the water and i just i, I there's something about that that just took my breath away i i wasn't expecting this movie to kind of go there and it and yeah it was Absolutely mesmerizing. This is
1: this is kind of fun because Mark, uh, you've only been on the show for two of the 350 episodes, where I have been on for 349, and <laughs> and and I will say that the sheer level of youthful exuberance I think that we've just heard Shaheer Dowd talk about this film is something that does not happen often he's talking about this movie like I talk about Scott
0: Pilgrim which is weird Uh, and I love it I'm here for it this is great Tell us, Matt. Before we move on to actually, I, I felt like I've got, I've, I've taken us a whole down. Oh, should I road, knock it? Should I knock this down a peg for you? Should I read the IMDb synopsis for just you? Just tell, just tell us what it is for anyone who may have come this far uh, and not known what this movie is about. I know how much
1: you love me doing this. Side note: yeah. Nando and I on the show last week. Uh, check that out on Eternals. He's another IMDb friend. He does oh, the boy. same thing. I wish uh, you were there for that. Anyway, Itumama Tambien" is as um, whomever is the writer of the "I Am Debe" movie description pages is as follows: In Mexico, two teenage boys and an attractive older woman embark on a road trip and learn a thing or two about life, friendship, sex, and each other. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I just—it's like it's like the <laughs> uh, like the high arm strut is like the the feeling I get with that description. I'm just sort of like do 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 yeah. walking down the street. Uh, yeah, it's accurate. Uh, it's fine. It's
0: Five what, out of ten. What, what more needs to be said about the IMDb page?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, one day I'll meet them. and It will be at a crossroads. It'll be like the end of the stand. It'll be wonderful. Um, yeah. So I mean, Shahir, this is your baby. So what do you want to talk about first with, with this, with this film?
0: Well, I think I, I obviously, I want to get into, um, why we think it's good or why we don't think it's good. You know, whatever the, whatever the reasons may be. But I, I I think I want to dive into how this film actually works in terms of it's, it's, it's sort of marriage of both a personal and a political story that works side by side in sort of, in complete harmony, but like, as you said, Matt, when you watched it the first time, it's almost there, while the the political illusions are fairly overt and descriptive and very on the, you know, like on the surface of this movie, mm-hmm. it's very easy to watch and not notice them at all. And I'm I'm curious to sort of think about how, how this movie operates on both a political and personal level and what those two narrative um, through lines are doing to complement or, you know, to, to, to diverge from each other. I think, you know, like it goes without saying, uh, we've talked about Alfonso Cuaron on this, on this podcast before. Um, I was somewhat unaware of him up until this movie. Um, prior to watching this uh, screening, I actually went back and watched um, all of his films now. So I watched Solo Con Tu which is his first movie, which is is delightful. It's not. Uh, it it didn't blow my mind. It's it's got a, sort of got an Almodovarish sort of uh, funny six rom com kind of vibe to it. It's about a man, uh, a sort of Lothario in Mexico City who. Um, uh, gets uh, fooled into believing he has AIDS and has to sort of go on the sort of act of contrition for himself. Um, uh, the, the actor who plays who's the, the lead in that is actually the vo- is the narrator in Yuthu Mamatambian. Um, and then I and then Quaron went on to Hollywood right away. He was sort of part of the what they call the three amigos of New Mexican cinema, which was Quaron, uh, Del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, and uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, Uh, and they all sort of made their first movies. The thing I think that was interesting with Quaron is that I went and watched uh, um, The Little Princess and Great Expectations as two Hollywood movies afterwards, and with Del Toro and Inaritu, you really get a sense that those two guys knew what kind of filmmakers they were in their first movie. Like, they knew exactly the, you know, like, uh, Inaritu's film, Amores Peros, you know, it's like, it's very clear the type of filmmaker he is right off the bat. Guillermo Del Toro with, uh, with Kronos, you know what kind of movies that that guy's going to make. Mm. Cuaron doesn't really find himself until this movie. Like, he he basically makes three movies that are completely divergent Um uh, in style and tone and the very Hollywood. And he even says himself, he, he felt like he was getting lost in the system, but decided to like come back and recalibrate himself and make uh, this sort of little road trip movie that he'd been thinking about as a youth. And he sort of thought more about cinema and life and what cinema meant to him when he, when he went into making this and writing it with his brother. Um, and then from there, he becomes, you know, uh, a, a superstar, despite the fact that he's only made four more movies since then, um, which is uh, uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which I also watched uh, in preparation for this episode, and uh, and then on to um, Children of Men, Gravity, and Roma. And what's what's interesting, though, is that as an, as, a, as a filmmaker, he really, like, Yutumama Mama Tambian is the film that sets him on his path to be able to make... Personal blockbusters, which I think very few filmmakers are actually doing. Fil- you know, they, you know, even in the in, in the franchise world that they're that 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 he jumps into, Harry Potter, there is a sort of sense that that is a film about adolescence, which is something that he comes from Yuthu Mamathambian mm-hmm. and brings into. Um, and then you know, I don't think there's any filmmaker that could make a film like Gravity or Roma or Children of Men. You know, like uh, those are Alfonso Cuarón is the only filmmaker that could make those movies. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm obviously interested. In him as a filmmaker, but this film in particular, I think I'm interested in, in what makes Quaron tick philosophically in terms of what he loves about film and what he what, the stories he wants to tell. I think I think that's where I'd like to go, but obviously, you know, I'd love to hear your opinions on this movie as well.
2: Well, it holds off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that. I last time I watched it was years ago. I had a funny I, I had a, a DVD of it and um nine eight or nine years ago i was doing an art residency in a very rural area of minnesota Mm
0: -hmm.
2: small town with like a thousand people um but i was there for a month and i brought i don't know why i brought this disc i had my macbook and i must have watched it a few times and i was like you know what i'm gonna leave this here i'm Mm -hmm. gonna leave this dvd here because i think like I'm hoping somebody catches wind of it. Also, it was like rural Minnesota. I was like, "This is gonna blow somebody's mind." Because <laughs> yeah. it was like it was like the most controversial thing in that bookshelf, or that was in that house that art was like a Garrison Keillor book or something. And it was like, "This is gonna be a pretty wild discovery for somebody." Yeah. Um, I, I, I the last movie I saw of his was the last one that he made, which was Roma. I don't think I've I don't think I've rewatched anything in between and i thought a lot about roma what is successful in this that i didn't think was successful in mm. his in the like the ness of roma mm. which i think unfortunately there's mm. going to be some comparisons i think some of the unfortunate comparisons because they're going to be in his home country mm-hmm. you know these yeah. like these two films sitting side by side and these two films that potentially audiences may project a level of autobiography he's he's course, acknowledged yeah. i believe more about roma being being a bit more um a bit more true to his upbringing yeah. versus something like this where there might be aspects i i think with roma one of the things in in comparing this was like and i i don't mean to i don't mean to make this about a comparison between those two films but there, you know, Shahir, you talked about the like the political mm-hmm. angle. And I think there are parts of Roma, which is very, it very unsuccessfully mm-hmm. does it. It feels clunky in a way. It almost feels like a Lars von Trier mm-hmm. movie in some ways where it's like, oh, this is comically melodramatically like. And I think I think mm-hmm. that movie is pretty incredible. Roma, yeah. uh, I walked away from it. I was like, that's a that's a really incredible piece of work. Mm-hmm. And I would love to. I will see it again. There's something that is so tricky and even in this viewing, I was like, is it going to be really clunky? Mm. It's been almost a decade since I've watched this. Am I remembering this right? I'm aging. You know, uh, Shahir, you're talking about uh, the skepticism or this fear of revisiting it. Mm. I it's, it's a tricky move that he does of like the direct acknowledgement of the... Of like uh, basically the the political visuals yeah. and the political context, which I think inherently I would think, well, you just don't acknowledge it. Yeah. Like you use the camera like you're doing and blah, blah blah. But I I actually think it would have been clunkier if he did not. Right. If that narrator did not come in, it's an, and I can't explain why, but that device works so well. Um. And yeah, I'm. I'm. Increasingly saddened by the very end of the movie. Every oh time gosh. I watch it, yeah. More, the older I get, yeah. The older I get, um, and I was reading, uh, Shahir. I think before we 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 you suggested uh, doing this recording. You mentioned the um the recent article in New York Times, which is a bit of an oral history to it. And I was reading about, it, and they were the crew and cast was giving their interpretations of the ending. Where it was like, in my mind, especially the older I get, I was like, there is no interpretation. Yeah. Like, I think that's a valid truth, is that yeah. these two boys, young men, will never see each no. other again. And it just, it guts me. It, guts it really me does, doesn't it? As I rewatch yeah. it. Yeah.
1: So there's, there's something about this movie that I didn't, I mean, again, in, in first viewing, I don't even really... My first viewing was dumb, and by that I mean mm-hmm. I watched it and I liked it and I didn't think much about it. I didn't look at any of the political machinations. I didn't really think about the other things. I I didn't. I don't even remember noticing the audio drop. Like I mm-hmm. I, I like when the narration came in this time I did and I was like what and I was like mm-hmm. is it, at first I thought because again it had been a while since I'd seen it. Uh, it's I, jarring, I, isn't it? It's I was like, like the sound is this broken? Goes. Did I select yeah. the wrong thing? I I rented it on Prime. And I was like, there was one that just said, like, English subtitles. And I was like, oh, cool. So it did, like, these weird burn-in ones. But then you could have just gotten it done on the system. And it was it was like a weird double take. So I was like, maybe I did something wrong. Of course I didn't. Uh, I never do anything wrong. Uh, that is not true. The The interesting thing about, uh, upon rewatching, it, and it goes, uh, there's sort of the twofold. One, of course, is the age thing. And we can talk about the ending as we get closer to the end and, like, how it is. The, the f- fuck, gentlemen, the march of time does not stop for anyone, but that's not really where I think this movie totally shines, though it does there. I think this movie shines in in its entirety, in its sense of flow. We mentioned a couple different things. We mentioned political backdrops. We mentioned sort of side information that we kind of gleaned through the frame as we're going through just following these three people. Uh, we mentioned how the shots themselves – feel like they are both at the same time set up and completely caught like in some random moment that the camera just happened to be turned on and and (laughs) i i put all of that to flow because honestly weirdly i would say in the grand scheme of cinema uh not a ton happens in this movie like but That doesn't matter because we are watching the flow of these three people's lives in conjunction at at this one moment for one time when all three of them were together and it changed sort of uh, a lot of their uh, the course of their lives in weird ways and it. And and to watch that sort of like again to Sheer to your quote the ocean the flow or whatever in the foam and stuff depending on whatever we're doing that's the quote right I just got it right um, the. That is very true of this movie. It's life is this torrent that kind of you have your you have a paddle, sure, but your boat might kind of suck from time to time and you get thrown around a bunch and you run into people and you have experiences. And even if that experience is a short amount of time, it can forever sort of change your life's trajectory in a in and in in, in in vast ways. So when you get to the end of this movie, you're kind of like, yup. Shit, the things you thought were important and that you loved so dearly could be sort of transferred in an instant and or or over the course of or or the slow death march of time. Like there's a lot there about the trans the transformativeness of our human experiences that we have with people in our lives. And that's what I took away from it more this time than like body teenage comedy in Mexico, not comedy, but like teenage coming of age, you know. Oh man, they have a bunch of sex and there's an older woman and that's cool. Like, but like this time around was very like, oh yeah, I see all the things dumbass me didn't see the first (laughs) time I watched this movie. You know, Uh, so it was. uh, I I think it all does. It comes down to flow and the fact that he can make this flow happen is, I think, that magic uh, sauce or whatever that uh, we've all sort of been talking about. Because I still am not entirely sure how he did it. Um, (laughs) And we break down this stuff for a non-living here on the internet, so it's, it's
0: kind of amazing to me. I think there's a uh, there's a couple of things that's interesting in terms of the, the the narrative flow. It should be acknowledged that this was written by him and his brother Carlos Coran as well. Uh, he's got a family of uh, he's kind of becoming a, like a Coppola figure right now. His son is also making movies. A friend of mine is actually working on uh, his son's movie, and I think uh, his son Jonas Coran is uh, is slated to direct the Nick Zorro movie as oh, well. Oh, cool! Um, so you know he's got he's he's building he's building he's setting up franchises. Yeah. Um, but uh, Alfonso, I think. You know, look. It's it's there's a if you watch uh, Great Expectations and uh, A Little Princess, the movies that he did in Hollywood, they are beautiful. They're 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 rendered. They they feel like movies that Guillermo del Toro could have directed. They in the in the sort of design sense of the word, which is what Guillermo del Toro is so good at. They're also somewhat in my opinion, a little stagnant. You know, they're a little still and and a little uh, formally executed um, in a way that I think Roma does much more successfully as he's gotten more control over his his, his capacity with the camera and, and what he can tell stories with. Roma is a much more formal exercise than Yutumama Tambian, obviously. So I think... Um, you know, and, and, and I watched a lot of behind the scenes for this and, you know, he, they, they talk about being directly, uh, informed by the French new wave. Um, but then the narration comes directly from Godard's masculine and feminine, um, and even the way he uses the camera. And and I think he, and uh, this is also the point at which uh, cinematographer Emmanuel Lubezki, who, uh, Chivo, as, as everyone has called him and he, who has worked as well in Hollywood, um, uh, you know, he's worked with the likes of Terence Malik uh, since and still works with uh, Coloran, except for in Roma, um, sort of forms his naturalistic style, which is that it's based upon. Um, real location. It's it's almost like you mentioned Lars von Trier a second ago. It's almost like the dogma approach, which is that the locations are real. They're not dressed. They they don't change them very much. The lighting sources are very much the lighting sources that are in the scenes that are probably augmented some way behind the camera. And he just lets the actors tell their stories. And there's an immediacy and an urgency to it um, as the characters move from scene to scene. And then, so th- that's a very technical Analysis in terms of like you know of, of how he's just putting things together in a sort of very offhand kind of way, while still having a purpose purposeful understanding of what the story is really about. And he talks about the idea that the story is a coming of age story about these two young men, but it's also a coming of age story about Mexico as a country itself, and its and its sort of formation as a uh, political identity. He, he he describes Mexico as like being a teenager in those years, and the political. Um, uh, events that happen in this film as I described are events that were happening in that period. Um, I think you know he's got a real... Uh, you see this in all of his films. He's got a real interest in the division between classes, between social classes. And I love that you mentioned the comparison between Roma because uh, in our review of Roma, I mentioned the fact that there's a scene in this film that always stuck out to me. And then it was interesting that I think that that scene was essentially the kernel for what Roma would become. And that's when uh, Tenoch is at home... And he, the phone is ringing and it keeps ringing. And we watch the maid or his nanny walk, you know, like walk from the kitchen as the phone is ringing up the stairs as the phone is ringing into the, bed, into the bedroom as the phone is ringing. Then, you know, uh, hands uh, Tinoch his favorite sandwich with the cheese he likes and then picks up the phone, which is right next to him and then hands it to him. And then like, you know, but she does it in this way that's like entirely loving, you know, like it's, it's, she's not, she doesn't think he's obnoxious, even though he is. She just does it in this way that is like truly like, this is my, you know, like this is my son. And then later on as they're driving, is driving, They, the narrator mentions that, that they drive past his nanny's house and up until the age of four, he called her mother, you know, her mom. Mm-hmm. And that he thought he, as he was driving, he was thinking about the fact that he should have stopped to see where his nanny was born and the, and the life that she came from because she obviously means a lot to him. And eventually I think that that, kernel of story that, like, this little detour that's in Nitu Tambian becomes Roma as a film itself. Um, but, aside from that, I think there's something interesting that you said, Mark, which is that when we watched this film, we were the age of Tenot and Julio, right? Like, we were, we were, we were that age when we watched it for the first time. Now we're Louise's age. And, and the thing that makes sense to me more, it was sad to me then, but that this... You know, Matt, you said there's not a lot that happens in this movie. I think everything happens in this movie. The totality of this person's life. Well, that was kind of my this point. Movie. So much can yeah. happen in, in so little is kind but, of the but, thing. But, but for her, like, and and we did we we reviewed uh, Citizen Kane um, a few months ago, and we I reread Pauline Kale's essay about Citizen Kane, and she talked about how an interesting exercise is to think about the lives of characters when they're not on screen. And, do the, you know, like, do in a movie, do you feel like the characters have a life when they're not on the screen? And this is a movie where I feel like there's a whole other movie after Julio and Tinoc leave Luisa, you know, and she spends the last five days of her life um, jumping from island to island with Chewie and his family. And there's this... Why I think the film works so magically is I think Quaron is amazing at directing your eye, but also allowing this world to be so rich and full that you feel like there's an entire world outside of the frame. Like, the the story of uh, when Tinochin and Hulu, when they're driving along, and they drive past this sort of... Um, this uh, There's a cross on the street, and, and the narrator says, if they'd driven here 15 years earlier, they would have driven through a dust of chicken wings, and, or a dust of ch- uh, feathers, and then they would have seen a body, and then their mother, were, you know, cradling her mm-hmm. child next to it. And then that story becomes kind of this kernel of the story of globalization that chewy the fisherman that they pick up at the end becomes a part of you know he's this fisherman who the the most tragic thing that that for me when i watched it this time around wasn't that those that julio and tenoc wouldn't wouldn't um see each other again wasn't that louisa died even though these, these things are terrible but it's just this detail that i hadn't figured out or hadn't clicked onto this time was that chewy would never fish again it was the, there's this line. It was like Chewie would never fish again, and he would eventually become the janitor in the hotel that that forced him out of his home. Yeah, and and I think there's this this the, that flow state that you're talking about has to do with the sense that that this is a there's an entire universe of stories within this one film, and they go on forever. You know, like there's this every character has an entire life. Like the story of the Louisa doll. That, um, that Louisa picks up. It's the little, it's the little um, uh, soft, cuddly toy that she mm-hmm, picks up, mm-hmm. and she picks it up from a 92-year-old woman, and that woman says I rem- she remembers everything from her, you know, of her life, and Louisa was a little girl who died crossing when they tried to get over to Arizona. There's, like, whole stories in this film. There's so much in this movie, but it never feels like it's... St- you know, like, I think there's a... Cl- yeah, you're right. There is a sort of a more formality. I-, I quite like Roma, but I think there's definitely more of a formal tone to it. Um... And so I, I think, I mean, that's why I'm passionate about this movie is that I feel like every time I watch it, there's just this sort of there are tendrils of stories going in every direction, and they're all really about the way in which life transforms, you know, the way in which, in a way, life is indifferent to our own suffering, you know, like we we will all kind of suffer at, at, at you know, life is life is suffering, but it's magnificent at the same time. And I think Luisa, in in this film, is suffering so much but is deciding to, like, free herself from, like, what her life was. Like, like, she is doing this sort of incredible act at the beginning of this film, which is that she packs up, you know, and you don't notice it like, when you watch it for the first time, but she packs up her entire life into a little bag and leaves everything that she knows behind. And, you know, like, that's, that's, that's a whole film unto itself, like her packing up that apartment. But it's just like, it just happens in a moment here. Um, I, I, I could, I could ramble for hours on this movie. I just love it so much. But I, I, you know, I think that's why it works so well is that there's, there's an honesty and a truth to every story that's in this.
2: Wow. Well, I think you like this movie, Shahir. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, think.
1: I think there's <laughs> some love here.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's really nice to be around this enthusiasm. I, I agree with you. I think it's, it's a tremendous piece of work. I really, it's, it's, I've, Come back to this movie, and I'm always so delighted by um I think even when I rewatched Children of Men, I had this reaction to like it's very impressive what you're watching filmically cinematically. It's like, oh my god, this thing has been going on for five minutes, and like the choreography. But 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 the the other thing that's growing with my revisits to this and some of his other films is like Oh, he's so, oh my God, he's good with actors. Yeah. Like, he's incredibly good with <laughs> actors. Like, and especially this, I mean, the, not only that, but like his level of observation. I hmm. don't know, I don't know how he works with, with, um, with his team and his performers, but like, oh God, those shifts be, you know, just the, the, um, the like, Bravado of that age and then those shifts into like the squirmy insecurity that happens. It's Uh like it feels so lived in. I'm I'm just every time I rewatch it, I'm very, very impressed by it. And like the little details I get fixed. I fixated on. Tinoche being the one that vomits mm. after, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after the evening. Yeah. But there's like a, in my mind, there's a predict. I don't know why it is, but I'm like, of course, he's the one. He has yeah. to be the one that vomits. But I don't know why that is. I can't explain why that is. The scene. I have an answer for why that is, but continue. <laughs> um, The party, just the, 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 the. the 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 girlfriends leave town yeah. and they're at the party and there's like all this like the buildup that they're you know all this stuff's gonna happen just like the beautiful observation just them in the, like the corner just you know on ecstasy and just being just in and, and a lot of ways you're just watching losers you know you're just yeah. watching these two losers
1: um i i dislike which them.
2: I, the film isn't judging like, like i dislike yeah. them
1: it, 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 I, sorry to sort of jump in but like that was something i noticed too these are two characters i do not like but yeah. when you peel when you peel away the bravado or when you sort of peel away and you sort of get into uh what makes a person a person like you sort of get under the layers and you're like ah even people i don't like actually have a underlying humanity and like are are actual are actual non-garbage people like there there's there's a way to sort of look at this in that sense like there's nothing about them in the first 30 minutes that endears me to them at all. I'm like, these are the kids I didn't like when I was young, and these are the kids that I do not like now. But, hmm. th- when you get through it, I find it kind of a beautiful exercise to be like, I mean, you see the vulnerability, Mark, that you brought up, of course, in those moments when they're either being in sexual uh, situations where they are not used to, and they're trying to be bravado, and then they absolutely cannot do it, or or the, or the, the scene at the end when all three of them are together, etc. But also, like, even in the moments when, like, the the conversation they have at the party at at, at uh, what's his head's father's party when they first meet Louisa, uh, yeah. the way they're talking to her and the way that their like body language is with her, I fucking hate. I hate it <laughs> yeah. so much. And then, uh, yeah. but then there's moments. Let's even c- contradict that to when they're all sitting around, even just drunkenly, like. Having a a very uh, what some might consider crash conversation, uh, crash conversation with one another at the at the tavern near the end of the movie, right? Like Mm. they're two very different things by people who have now opened themselves up to one another, as opposed to in Louisa's case the party, she's very shut off, and in 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 their case, they're coming on real fucking hard in creep ball, and now it's just they're together. They've been through stuff. They're human beings interacting. And like, I feel like they're, they're people now that I'd be like, oh yeah, I would want to talk to these people as opposed to before where for multiple reasons, either because a, I would read Louisa's like, well, she doesn't really want to talk to anybody. So like, I don't want to bother her. And, or the two guys would be like, Jesus Christ, these fucking assholes. Like, like, <laughs> it's just interesting to watch that transition happen. And then that's a nice realization about people in general for me,
0: I think. Um. Yeah. I think the movie's observations about class are really astute. And it sort of... It it dawns on me that they were obvious from the first time I watched it, but they they grow more obvious the more I watch it. Um, In terms of, like, the way... I, this so this is one of my favorite written lines of of narration I think from any movie and and I, I tweeted about this the other night as well. There's a shot in this movie that I think is one of my favorite shots from any movie as well, and that is the scene where Louisa is in the phone booth, uh, calling Juan, uh, Hano, Jano, uh, uh, however you pronounce his name, and telling him you know she's basically giving him the the last goodbye, and in the reflection of the of the. Um, uh, of the of the phone booth we can see uh, Julio Tennoch playing pool and they're sort of ecstatically playing pool while she is basically uh, her life is kind of devolving in front of you know by the moment and I, and I just think that like the 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 sort of idea to capture that in one moment and let it play out and and kind of just have it evolve over time is really stunning uh and it's probably one of my favorite shots in all of cinema uh but there's a line that um the narrator says about Julio and Tenoch Tenoch, uh, where he says he says uh whenever Tenoch went to Julio's house he would lift up the toilet seat with his foot and whenever Julio went to Tenoch's house, he would light a match after he went to the bathroom. And you get this sense that, like, these two people, while being the best of friends who do everything together, who are inseparable, have a real acute, or, or at least Quaron has a real acute understanding of the two different levels of class that these two people are in, uh, in terms of uh, they're both their political and economic class. And Tino, there's an interesting thing that happened a few years ago when I was... Um, I I was pre- <laughs> when when my son was born, I th- I had this grand idea, and I think, Mark, you actually did this successfully, which is that you had this idea and you executed it into a podcast. But I wanted to do, execute a uh, a podcast about fatherhood or about the the interpret, you know, the, the the fear that I had about becoming a father. So I recorded a lot of tape about that. And one of the interesting things that I did was that I went to a fa- a new fathers group, and I um we we you know I I, I was doing the whole sort of new you learning how to change diapers and that sort of thing but one of the topics that came up was about circumcision And this is going to be a long sidetrack but i think it's a, it's not entirely unrelated to this movie um and it's so taking I, all of my energy yeah. not to make a circumcision joke right now but <laughs> oh, i'm just calling we're, out we're, that i could we're about to okay. uh don't cut the tape um at any rate uh, the <laughs> Um, I started. I asked all the fathers there, could I record the conversation, and they were like fine with it. And I started recording. I still have the tape somewhere. Um, but we started talking about circumcision and what it meant, and yada yada yada. And a father came up to me afterwards, and he said, "Hey, look, I didn't want to like get this on tape, but I just wanted to tell you this um, because this the, when we started having this conversation, it really it really occurred to me." He said, um, "When my family is entirely all circumcised." and my but i i went to a a sort of preppy jewish summer camp uh where everyone was circumcised of course but the the janitor's the janitor's son was allowed to come to the camp as well and so when we went to the shower he was the only kid that was uncircumcised and so we he said in my life i've always associated people who are uncircumcised with being of a lower class and i was like oh, huh, that's really interesting he says i and he says i know it's wrong but it's just what i've observed in my life and the way i think about it and so when we're having this conversation the thought of like circumcising or uncircumcising my son has to do with you know like making sure that he is in a class that makes sense to him and in this film i the thing that i noticed this time around so much was how much tino comments on julio's penis and and how much he talks about how it's uncircumcised and dirty and ugly and and then he sort of gets upset when um, uh, when Louisa mentions that it's one centimeter longer or something like that, or one inch longer. And this this conversation about class becomes really evident when they basically have this this tit for tat about who slept with whose girlfriend. And the first thing you know, like Julio uh, is really upset and saddened by the fact that he slept with. Uh, you know, like he he's he knows that he's hurt Tenoch, and he and he he basically tries to endure it. But then when he's angry, Tenoch calls him, you know, uh, a filthy animal. Like you are, you know, like su- you're such low class. And it's there it, it was just this sort of pervasive sense that like the film really understands that these two people are from a different class, and that by the end of the film, that division is really part of what drives them away as well you know like uh, is goes to a, a fancy university he's going to enroll in economics just like his, like he never wanted to uh, Julio is going to uh, the public university and is rolling to become a biologist and it's just the, the, the film is so acutely aware of class even in those little details like there's these little scenes where they're basically goofing around in the showers but it's like this, there's a really sense you know like it, it rang true to what that gentleman in that men's in that father's group said to me about what he thinks about class and circumcision it was just I, I i just like there's so many little details that are so acutely observed and and i, I think mark you asked that question it was like how does he work I, I i remember when i met this iranian man uh years ago as an older gentleman and he had he said this thing to me that, that always stuck with me uh he said uh great filmmakers are like philosophers um, and i i always i always sort of pondered that for a while and i didn't i didn't really know what to make of that because i always thought filmmakers were you know storytellers but he was like no great filmmakers are philosophers which is that they have ideas about the world and they their films permeate their ideas and i think what makes kouran so good is that he acts like a philosopher you know like he's, a, he's a, it's not that he's working to observe these things it's i think he observes this is the way he observes the world and, you know, he thinks about these little details, and it's, and it's so on point, you know, that, that I think that's why the film works and those scenes work. Um, yeah, sorry. We went on a tangent about uh, The interview runs runs You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was
1: a long story short. <laughs> um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> ah, snuck it in there. <laughs> snuck um, it in. It had to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like that. I like that film, Great Filmmakers or Philosophers, although I, I think I, I do a caveat. I, I think... I don't think all great filmmakers are philosophers. I think that great filmmakers can be philosophers. Like, it all depends on what kind of film you are making. Um, This, I agree 100% with that sort of analogy. Um, But, like, I don't know. There's too many movies I enjoy that, like, it's not for their philosophy, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, But regardless, um, I guess... You know, as we as we've been chatting about this film for for about an hour, and 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 this isn't by no means a, a, a slight whatsoever, Shahir, you have you have you have dominated the conversation. Because, yeah, I, I apologize. Well, no, I feel no, like no, no, I have. No, 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 no. Well, yeah. I, I actually really appreciate it because um, it's so lovely to a hear you so pumped about a movie, but b just sort of like latch on to things that even on this viewing that I had not. Um, mm. it's funny. Again, I go back to flow state for me. Mm. I, I this movie washes over me and I'm there and I'm with it I'm in the moment and I know I'm enjoying it and I know that it's super deep but I think one of the one of the counterbalances at least for me in a way that I watch a movie is oftentimes when in that flow state I will not catch all of the things that are that are enabling that flow state. And it's really nice to sort of hear all of these sort of uh, whether they be anecdotes or, or or fun facts or just sort of things like that about this movie that are kind of like making me just sort of I wish I had more to offer on the thing, but a lot of it's just sort of me being like, yeah. oh yeah, that's why, like that makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, uh, Mark, what what about you? Are, are you are you as enthralled with Sheer's retelling of this as I am? I think you gave
2: a great intro or you gave a great reaction to hearing Shahir start to the, the boyish energy after (laughs) 350 episodes. So that piqued my interest in a way where it's like, I'm going to shut the fuck up a bit here. (laughs) I'm so sorry. sorry. No, no, I don't, don't mean to say this to make you feel bashful at all. Um, No, I, it's very rare that, you know, it's rare that I'm doing Episodes like this, you know, you guys have been gracious enough to have me on twice, but I'm not I'm not talking about films uh, and films that I love all that often on on podcasts. And I'm also not on the receiving end of hearing somebody's unbridled enthusiasm about something that changed their life, like a film that changed their life, which I am 100 percent all in for. Um, when you guys do uh, Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. the, the original Chainsaw Massacre,
0: I will take Shahir's role. Right. I, and, it, it, uh, that will... movie also changed my life. By the way, I love that movie. That, <laughs> you can't have two uh, Shahir. Let Mark I can't have, have two. one. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, it's you know I'm I it's really it's it's in some ways it's rewarding for future watches as well because there's going to be an element of there's gonna be an element of me watching it through you a little bit shahir yeah. like and uh and I think as well this communal aspect of like this it's it's also the three of us watched it on our first viewing yeah. uh when it came out and that's also something that's really special with this conversation it's a twenty year piece of media we all saw it at roughly it sounds yeah. like the same sort of era of our life and you know how this continues to continues with the chapters of our life um yeah i uh i had uh, this is a very random thought mm-hmm. so so stay you were with in me this here. fathers very, group very and random. talking about circumcision <laughs> <laughs> um so we talked about the end feeling you know, there's there's a melancholiness to it. There's a heaviness to to the ending. It's 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 gutting in a lot of ways, and it continues to to be gutting as the years go on. Uh, this time I watched the ending, and uh, just in terms of the timing, the credits, the music, I was like, the end of departed. I don't know why. Right. But it's just like <laughs> yeah. I like for some reason. I know I'm, I'm not saying that. And that like if you watch The Departed, you'll see that Scorsese was trying to do the end. I'm not saying that at yeah. all. But there is there is uh it just that is a, the immediate reference for me, like, oh, this is like uh just the timing of everything. It felt uh it felt like a nice mirror. Like I I would yeah. love to see those two those two endings. They're very different endings, and I do not have a similar emotional reaction at the end of The Departed. Mm. Um, but I, I, uh, I
0: know exactly what you're talking about, which is that it's a quality that I love in films, as, in films. And the, the the other one other than The Departed would be um, an Australian film by the name of Animal Kingdom and even The Godfather. Um, but I think it's this idea that a film understands that it's, you know, like in screenwriting you get taught about the Don yume and, and the sort of the resolve of a film kind of easing you out into the credits and these are the, the films that we've just mentioned, The Departed Animal Kingdom, The Godfather, and Yitamao don't do that. They, they completely refrain from that. They know this. It, it, it's this other quality that, that I, I, I don't know where I got this one from, but that the best movies are the ones that begin when you walk out the door. And, 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 and that's, I think this is a movie that really does that because this is a movie that like cuts to black. And then in your mind, you now have to walk out the door with, with everything that you've just watched. And, and essentially the experience of the movie continues as you leave the theater or leave the sitting room. it it like stays with you. And when a film is able to do that. I think it's it's a it's rare and it's remarkable. You know, like uh, the other one that I remember doing that when I, at a young age that again was transformative was um, David Fincher's Seven. You know, when when it cuts to black right at the end, and Somerset says something along along the lines of um, Kipling. I, I, I can't remember who the poet was. Was like Kipling said, "The world is a great place and worth fighting for." And then Somerset says, "I believe in the first part." And then it cuts to black. You know, it's like this beautiful idea that that that. It, you know the movie continues as you walk out the door, and I and I think that this film does that so well in those final moments because because it it is a like if we think back to the ninety nine two thousand this is the period of the sixth sense where uh, of the sixth sense where the twist ending is important and has cachet in terms of like what we do and there's this idea don't reveal the twist at the end and this is a film where. It is more powerful the first time you experience knowing that Louisa had cancer the entire time, and that this journey that we thought was the sort of, you know, uh, sexual romp, you know, her sowing her wild oats was in fact not that, but but her basically releasing herself from life as 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 she has known it for the, for her entirety, and you know like that that does hit you like oh when I leave this theater. What am I going to do with my life? Like you know, like where does my life go from here? I think that's that's this quality that this film has, and this other detail that I'd forgot that I didn't pick up until this time was that how much Louise's life had been at the service of other people. Mm. Um, you know, like it, the, she talks about here how, or well, the narrator talks about how she. Uh, her parents died when she was 10 years old, so she raised uh, she was raised by an aunt who she looked after for the last five years of her life, and then she married uh, Yano immediately after, and basically, you know, there's a story of how um, she goes to parties, and all of her friends, all of Yano's friends uh, ask her political questions that she can't answer but she always wants to ask them about like dental questions and but she never dares to so she's always been living her life at the service of other people uh, and looking after other people and you see that quality to her as she's there even the, even when she has sex with Julio and Tino, it's so funny because she's like you know, like these guys have been talking themselves up in their sexual, you know, their sexual uh, abilities. And then when you see them have sex for the first time, they're just, they're, they're literally children, you know, they're almost children. They're, they have no, um, they have no rhythm whatsoever. The, the, I think the first scene with uh, Tenoch when she's having sex and like, they've talked about the finger up the butt and like she, her hand is kind of creeping back there. And it's like this, he's just, he's not equipped to deal with like a, you know, an actual woman. But then, yeah, it's just this idea that, everything that she's been doing in this film is is not about having sex or not about, like, uh, a conquest or anything. It's about walking out of the... She, she knows she's going to die, so she's walking out of life in in control, you know, like, with more... Um, w- w- with doing it for herself. And I think that's the sort of, like, interesting power... Um, balance that happens in the movie as well she's in total control once they get back in the car you know like she's actually driving the whole thing um but yeah i i you know i i think that that ending when it just cuts the black and he says "chick, please and and then the music starts it's like it's so good it's just it's great it's just amazing it's almost yeah. as good, dare I say, as when
1: uh Freddy jumps out of the lake at the end of Freddy versus <laughs> uh, Jason. and that that silhouette shot of the claw? I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's it's a it real is. it's the real same feeling you get yeah, from it's, that. Yeah, it's cinema
0: as philosophy,
1: right? Yes, Freddy yes. Freddie never yeah. dies. <laughs> Freddy never dies. But who actually won? Uh, yeah. apparently okay. the filmmaker says Jason Womp-womp. Um, I don't know. Final thoughts on E2 Mama Tambien," everybody. I, I dug it. I dug it more this time. I dug it more now that Shaheer digs it so much. Mark, what about you? It's great. Um,
2: it will. Uh, it you know, coming after Freddie versus Jason, <laughs> it's a it's it's, it's a hard follow up meal. No, I'm I'm really happy to have had the excuse to come back to it. I think it's a good. I I. Maybe, maybe I'm just saying this. I don't think so. I think, you know, with this reflective time after sort of like this post vaccination, I've uh, had all this time to sort of mull over friendships and people in my life and things like that. It's a movie I don't think I should have come to during the pandemic. I'm glad I, or we're still in the pandemic, but like yeah. when we were quarantined, yeah. I'm happy to come to it now, though. I think it was a good. It's a good little it's a good little marker of where things are at right now and I think the next organic time that I need to rewatch it. So be it. she here it is playing at Film Forum. Is it? Uh this month they're doing a road movies program oh, cool. And Ooh. it's one of like two or three dozen road movies which is seeing that I was like yes officially it's <laughs> that's like a canon road movie now. Yeah.
0: Um it's one of the greats. I guess yeah. I'd probably be in my top five. Yeah. Yeah. I, Mark, I'm curious because uh, because of your podcast, in terms of the, you know, your podcast is really about the, about male relationships and the, the sort of the dance of the male relationship. Did you kind of, did, did the work that you've been doing over the last five or so years, did, did, did you view their their friendship in any sort of, did, did you see any interesting observations in, in their friendships um, in this viewing? well i think you you talked about a few things
2: with the class element um it's really interesting and the really interesting the internalized homophobia mm. that is explored i think it's it's done really really delicately um i i am completely enamored with like the the observations of intimacy and Mm. those sorts of friendship. And obviously there's like the physical intimacy, but I don't know, the shared spaces, the bonding rituals, the, like the whole thing, you know, there's, there's the jerking off at the pool, but just (laughs) all the pool scenes altogether, the, the racing that they're doing in the, in the pools. um, I just, I mean, that's, that's the heartbreaking. I think that's what I, with other men need help. And what I project onto the ending is like, I don't know, just the way that we, we as men and what we do with boys sort of like murder our friendships in Mm. some ways because of like these conditions that we put on them, these, um, these ways that we don't trust intimacy as we move into adulthood, the ways that we, uh, not everybody, the ways that many, the internalized homophobia that we develop, lots of boys develop at an early age and how that, how that dictates, The distance that we have a friendship, um, the distance that, you know, we we remove ourselves from certain friendships. Um, I don't necessarily think that they were meant to be friends necessarily. um, But I think there's a way that they could have found like some a a really, really deep, like a really deep, honest, uh, resonant love for each other Mm. um that was just sort of like it was on the cusp if they could have just allowed like the physical maturity to get to a point where they could express those sorts of things um yeah it's it's something that i'm i'm fascinated by and i'm i sort of work in my own friendships my own relationships but i'm i'm interested in the way that we as adult men the sort of like the julio and Tenoches. uh where that where that is for us 20 years later Mm. not only just in terms of like the friends that we have but the ways that we are still those two boys and the ways that we've walked away from being those two boys or what we've learned from being boys like that um yeah i think it's i think it was like completely that's the other thing i'm just blown away how beautifully observed Mm. the film is in terms of like uh, male friendships and there's so much truth and it and the display of it Mm.
0: uh yeah there's a question in the Carlos uh, Aguila is, uh, article in uh, in the New York Times, which is asked, do uh, the narrator says that they never see each other again? And I think in the article, they ask all the filmmakers if they believe that is true. Um, do you have a, a, a thought about that?
2: I, I, every single time I walked away I'm saying they have not Yeah. But there's, there's part of my, just my, my, <clears throat> realism as well where where it's like well it's they couldn't have predicted where we would be 20 years later but it's like I've got I've got a friend who um, I'm convinced stole my identity or was (laughs) trying to steal my identity and we had a a falling out haven't talked to him in Mm -hmm. a long long time how do we know you're not him how do we know you're not (laughs) there's
0: another Mark God somewhere
2: yeah, uh, but I look him up all the time. All the time, meaning a few. You times look you a year. up, you know. There's, <laughs> yeah. You, well, he has to. He has to. He's got. If you're gonna, if you you got to keep going. If you're gonna start with trying to steal somebody's identity, I think you got to keep that racket going. But I think in the world of like our modern world, social media wise, and just mm. like the ways that our world is in so- a lot of ways just smaller, mm. um, I think these two men would have probably encountered each other. But I I like. I'll go with the like. In some ways, the the strict code of, yeah. of what they set up for for how uh, how these two two men, two young men, two boys responded mm. uh, to this time in their life, and they like no, you know, not verbalizing it, but just That's deciding it. to go the opposite well, way. I mean,
1: yeah. It, yeah. it seems like kind of an odd question to ask the filmmakers because the movie says it. Like, what do you mean? Do they see the movie? Just told me they don't. The movie hasn't lied to me this entire time. Why is this a question? Like in this world, that the movie and the story that it's telling, they say that they never see each other again.
0: It's like okay, but but Matt, do you entertain the idea that they could have seen each other? No, because the movie told uh, me they
1: didn't. (laughs) If they, if they're
0: strict, you're you're strictly by the text.
1: Well. Yeah, I mean, I could also be like, and then they went off and trained tigers. Like, who, like, what? Like, the, the movie told me the answer to this question. Like, right, but explicitly. They,
0: but, I, but there is no answer. It's a rhetorical kind of, like... What do you mean like... there's no answer? There's no question. <laughs> there's no... I mean Coran Qu- and and Carlos who are the authors of this thing have, have talked uh, jokingly about like they w- would be interested in revisiting these characters uh and and seeing if they meet up again at the edge of forty That's a different thing and, and like in and I'm just saying story like, that they told they never see each other again Right that which is which is correct but isn't there's a possibility like th- this no, no, is the, no 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 would it be interesting the if of, they of, did game of, of interacting with with works of art is pondering the questions <laughs> outside of it right like the movie That's begins when you walk out the door what like if, do you what, know the authenticity of any of the oh, stories man. that they what narrated what if their car broke
1: down and they never made it to the beach what if they actually found a spaceship <laughs> and it turned out to be uh the, the the alien in eight uh was it eight millimeter no what's that Stephen no what movie is that. No, Or could be. Sure. Why not? That, that works. <laughs> what I'm saying is there are things like there are moments in films that are open ended and you could be like, ooh, I
0: wonder. I, I don't wh- think I don't think anyone's suggesting that this moment isn't open ended. I'm just saying this. No, no, I'm suggesting it's
1: not open ended.
0: That's what I'm saying. In this film, it's close ended. Okay. They, they
1: close it. They, they actually do it. They tell you. Okay. All right. Well,
0: uh, we'll leave this, it
1: closed-ended for you. All right. Um, well, oh. I'm going to close out this episode by saying this is the uh, only podcast about the film *Itu Mama Tambien. Mark, thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with us once again. It's so lovely. Granted, it's so lovely to talk to you about Burt Reynolds. <laughs> but I am very happy to have now continued our our podcasting relationship and now we can talk about things that are not white lightning.
0: <laughs>
1: I do want to see well, Gator I hope... Gator. was the sequel, right? I do want to see Gator. <laughs>
2: I I recommend it. Yeah. Uh, I don't recommend it in the way where it's like, "Here, you are gonna be blown uh, away. <laughs> but I do <laughs> you gotta be at least be a completist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course.
0: But thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Mark, where can people find your work on the internet if they wanted to find uh to hear more of you?
2: Well, first place is wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you listen to this, you can find other men need help. That is the first thing I'd recommend. And markpagan.com. It's a website. It's got some info about me. And then I'm on uh I'd say most actively on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on both, but have the most fun on Instagram. Hmm. So look me up, Mark Pagan. The Twitter is at the Mark Pagan.
1: Nice. Shahir. when you are not taking a road trip into the
0: depths of your own soul and joy, where can folks find you? You can find me rambling on for hours on end as if no one was else was in the room, and I apologize profusely for dominating the conversation on this one, at my website, www.shahirdow.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are closing the chapter of books and saying there is no more to this story, where can people find you?
1: You can find me admitting that I am wrong about the order we do this outro, but then cutting it out of the podcast for this very episode. <laughs> Shahir, you were correct over at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram. Or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits. I believe by this point we will have completed our, concle- our conquest of India history series. It w- it's been awesome, and we'll have a two-parter out by this point uh, on the history of the discovery and the battle around insulin, which is fucking oh. fascinating. I don't know if you guys know uh, anything about the the four men that sort of uh, were involved in the discovery of insulin and how. It was a miracle and they were super like positive about making sure that it wouldn't cost people a ton of money and they wanted to make sure they like sold the patent for a dollar, yada, yada, yada. But they also, most of them fucking hated each other and they all (laughs) wanted like they all didn't think the others deserved as much credit. It's
0: such a weird story. Um, Like a prisoner's dilemma. uh, Yeah. So anyway,
1: please go check that out. Uh, It's it's quite good. Uh, Next week. Because we
0: are be mm. so far into the future, I don't know what we're doing. There's so much to see coming up right now. Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. Mike Mills's Come On, Come On. Mark, are there other movies that you're excited to to be seeing that are coming out soon? Yes.
2: Uh, well, you know, I, you guys have probably already covered it. I still haven't seen Dune. Oh. And... Uh, yeah, we have covered
0: Dune. Yeah. By the time okay. this episode comes out, Dune 2 might already be out. Who knows? That's
1: not true. Soho,
0: Last Night in Soho. I want to see Last, last night, night in Soho guys, very badly. Of course, Edgar Wright, one of your favorite filmmakers. Yep, yep. Uh, there's so much good stuff out right now I'm still not quite in the position of going to movie theaters but uh, hopefully uh, that will end soon and, and I will break my uh, proverbial movie non-movie going cherry I don't know what I'm saying anymore let's, let's call it there okay
1: hey everybody <laughs> have a great time wherever you are in your life listen to other fun stuff listen to Mark's podcast uh, and and then afterward take a nice long rest and reflect on your life we'll talk to you all next week bye everybody bye